Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, the great unifier these days seems to be quarantine, (laughs) and we've all had kind of a unique um, uh, experience as quarantine has sort of evolved over the months. I don't know if that's been your experience as well. Yeah, absolutely. We all remember mid-March it happened. We were all sent home from work, school, whatever we were doing. Um, And Andrew, I noticed for me, mentally speaking, I I went through stages. Uh, like the, the first one is, ooh, this is kind of cool. We're working from home. Don't yeah. drive anywhere. Yeah. Get to be with my wife more often. It's kind of nice. And, and then it was, you know, we, we, we went to, to, to boring. You know, well, I'm, yeah. I'm now kind of bored with this. Now I'm on autopilot. I, it's, it's, I'm looking for things to do to occupy myself, new things, you know. And, yes. and, of course, we found personal and professional things to do. But then I think I slipped into it was a bit frustrating and I think I meet a lot of people that now it's almost apathy. It's like, let's get back to what we were doing, or yeah. at least a new version of what we were doing. Yeah, mine's been such, uh, very similar to that. I remember when it first started, uh, Atlanta was having one of the best springs I can remember yeah. in terms of weather. Yeah. And so my wife and I went on these really long walks, and it was yeah. just, it was almost, almost picturesque, you know, for those who, who were not experiencing the virus at that point. Uh, you got to catch up on some TV shows, all those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. Phase two is, I think I finished Netflix, yeah, you know, yeah, and, exactly. and uh, the loneliness sets in and you're yeah. kind of, you just wish you could see another human face yeah. um, besides the ones that are in your home. And and me too, I think I've been in that same eagerness to get back to normal. And when I do see a, a friend or, or whomever now, it's like this, oh, I forgot what this was like yeah. to be around people. Yeah. Um, so it's been a total transformation. And I think hard on me, I can only imagine how hard it's been on so many uh, other people. Yeah. Well, and really the main issue of this particular podcast is the mental health effects that the pandemic has had on Gen Z. Absolutely. On the kids that are, that, that are being raised today. So mental health was already an issue among middle school, high school, and college students. But um, Andrew, the CDC reported in late August that one out of every four young adults contemplated suicide in the last month due to the pandemic. Yeah. So you think maybe one out of 100, maybe one out of 50. Even that's high for me. Yeah. But one out of four. So somehow there's been a quiet, maybe even silent crisis going on that we didn't realize, and it was way more than boredom. Absolutely. There's a crisis, I think is the right word there. The crisis that we see on the news all the time is obviously this global pandemic, which is a serious issue. But I think if we focus too much on that, we may miss the other crisis that's going on uh, underneath the surface, which is this mental health situation. Andrew, I say this with a smile, but I keep, when people just say, describe this year so far, pandemics, politicians, protest, panic attacks, it's been a hard year. A really so hard year. This conversation is going to be about how do we turn that around and how do we make something good out of something that's really been less than optimal this year. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know what I've, I've thought uh, a lot about um, in, in um, light of that is uh, crises are almost always what precedes renewal and breakthrough. Yeah. Um, in fact, you don't really need renewal if you're already renewed. Yeah. But in the middle of a crisis, whatever that might be, mental, external, uh, fires in California, whatever it is, usually that's priming the pump for, uh, for a, a breakthrough. And listeners, we just want you to be thinking, what could be the breakthrough in my context, yes. in our world, with the kids that are in front of me 
so as we shift into autopilot, let's, let's wake up, let's, let's not be paralyzed, and, and realize that as leaders we must help Generation Z manage their emotions. And I have said for years and years, uh, we need to help them live somewhere between stretched and overwhelmed. Yes. So we're at our very best when we're a little bit stretched. We're yes. not, we can't be on autopilot. Uh, but on the other hand, the overwhelming thing kind of creeps up on us. And so that's, that's the goal. How do we help our, our young people m m meet that middle ground? And that's, a, that's what a well-managed crisis can lead to, right? Yeah, yeah. If it's well-managed, it's not overwhelming, right? But yeah. because it's a crisis, it does cause stretching, right? Yeah. And so uh, if we can help them manage uh, how they navigate this well, yeah. we can, we can kind of keep them in that middle space where they can learn the most. Yeah, we, I won't go long into this, but if you think about American history, and maybe world history, but certainly our nation, uh, Americans are at our, at our best when we're facing uh, a hard time. Uh, we come up with inventions. We, we come up with breakthroughs, you know, uh, maybe, maybe a vaccine, you know, that sort of thing yeah. we would have never come up with. So I know this is a, a, a cycling theme of, of ours on this podcast. But um, I tell you what really um, stunned to me was um, the shock I felt when I heard that a medical doctor, this would be someone that's actually treating COVID patients, Lorna Breen, Dr. Lorna Breen, actually died by suicide in April 27th of, the, mm. of this year, 2020. So here was someone that was actually bringing help to those in need, and she found herself with mental illness creeping up on her, mm. uh, like a gremlin, like, you know, that you didn't know was there. Yeah. And it was just, uh, I guess I was stunned because here was the very person that, I, that, that was set up to serve those in need, and she was in need herself. Teachers listening, I bet that sounds familiar. Principals listening, parents listening. This is our problem too. Absolutely, and and it wouldn't be uh, wrong to say that this is really just her story is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Um, I remember CNN reporting um, uh, several months ago about the their disaster distress helpline that the U.S. has, uh, and we actually found out that um, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services uh, Administration saw an 891 percent increase in call volume compared year yeah. over year. 891%. And obviously that goes like totally in line with that uh, statistic yeah. you just quoted about one in four kids having contemplated suicide. Yeah. This is just a crisis across the uh, way for people who are uh, professionals, right? Uh, helping yeah. to serve like Dr. Breen, but also um, for students who are sitting at home yeah. wondering how am I ever going to make it through yeah. um, this mess? I wonder as we think about... Um, this sort of under the surface crisis that's going on in mental health, um, what is causing it? And I know you and I have talked about this yeah, a lot, yeah. and this is probably the thing that's going through everybody's heads right now. Uh, I'd love for you to share some insights into, obviously we can't prove this is what's happening, you know, yeah. but uh, I think you do have some insights into what is exactly causing uh, us to see this spike in, in mental yeah. health issues. Well, I think the macro answer to that question is both what we know and what we don't know. Both are causing mental health issues. So what we know is, well, gosh, we're watching hours and hours and hours of news uh, each day, and stress levels climb when we do that because yeah. there isn't an answer. Nobody says, here's a vaccine, and it's you know, guaranteed to work. Yep. So, in fact, they just halted you know, some of the research on this because there was some trouble. So what we know is causing uh, you know, anguish. Yeah. But then what we don't know, um, obviously fear climbs when we face uncertainty every day. What's out there that I don't know? What, what happened to Lorna Breen, Dr. Lorna Breen, that might happen to me as well? Yeah. 
Um, so I think we need to be remembering that it's, it's both what we know and what we don't know, and we're going to have to take some actionable steps so that we prevent it from happening to yeah, us. Yeah, that is so true. That is so true. We live in a very complicated world oftentimes, yeah. don't yeah. we? And it's, it's more complicated, I think, even for these young, young kids. So how do we help them um, sort of navigate and manage their stress? I think we need to jump into that yeah, now. Yeah, let's do. Well, I, um, I think there's three big umbrellas that might be relevant and helpful to talk about okay. uh, in terms of helping Generation Z manage their stress, manage their anxiety, their mental health issues. Um, a Andrew, you remember um, our team began to call partners, uh, educators that we partner with across the country yes. when this thing first happened, this COVID-19 was first appearing in America. And do you remember the phrase we kept hearing? Yes. Uh, the yeah. teachers were saying, how can I help these anxious students when I'm anxious myself. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if I've got the answers. It's the Wizard of Oz. When we pull back the curtain, we realize he's not really in any better shape than we are. Yes. And that's how we feel, very human. So I'll jump into these three words. I'd love for you to banter with me because do I it. think this might be just good sparkers for conversation among our listeners. So the first word, the first big umbrella that I think we need to address is the word honesty. Honesty. So in order to remain trustworthy with our students, leaders are going to have to insist on being really transparent. Uh, we just heard word, uh, word is out now that Donald Trump wasn't completely honest about how much he knew about how deadly this was. Well, that scares people. Yes, it does. So the yeah. more honest we are. Now, we need to make sure we don't you know, run across a line and say, we're just panicking. That's all we're doing now. But I think we've become more trustworthy in the eyes of a secondary school student when we're just very clear and very honest and very transparent. In fact, I think the only way students are going to believe us uh, is if we communicate absolute honesty about the issues our world is facing. Absolutely. And, and it's no surprise we've talked about how savvy this generation is for years because of their access to the Internet at young yeah. ages. If you're not honest with them, yeah. they know. Yeah. <laughs> they could figure it out. Yeah. They're probably better at Googling than we are, right? Uh, so they can track down the truth. It doesn't actually benefit us to, to lie to them or to try and hide information from them. Um, especially in the in the midst of a global pandemic like yeah. this, so we just need to be realistic about the importance of being honest. I think is no the way doubt I would about say it. it. So let, let's dig a little bit deeper on this one before we move on. I feel like if we're talking to let's say a freshman in high school, and and he or she is looking to the face of his or her parent, teacher, coach, employer, maybe, and they they're looking for honesty. They're looking. They can read between. They're savvy. They can read. Uh, we need to say, I don't know that, but I'll get back to you. Or I think sometimes it's fine to say, I don't know if that's knowable right now, yeah. but our face remains poised. It's the flight attendant factor. Yes. We, when we're going through turbulence on a flight, if that flight attendant is jostled, but she's still smiling and still serving the Cokes and Diet Cokes and, and lemonades, then we know we're okay. So I think we just need to remain honest, but yet poised in the way we respond. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So some examples real quick. One example, um, we can say, as I mentioned, I don't know the answer to that question, but let me find out. Uh, what we do know, however, is, and yes. we can go on with what we do know. Yep. Um, so I, I think that this is a great uh, place for the Stockdale paradox. Yes, please. That? Yeah, please talk so about that. So Admiral James Stockdale was the highest ranking officer that actually spent time as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He was at the Hanoi Hilton, if you remember that. It was horrible, seven years. Mm -hmm. But real quick, his story was he got out, he made it through, he survived. 
And when he was interviewed and asked the question, how did you make it out? He said, it was two things. I confronted the brutal facts of what I was facing day to day, but I never lost hope in the idea that I would prevail in the end. So it was twofold. I was confronting the brutal facts. This is not a good day. Yeah, I was I'm not pretending. Yeah, I, I was being tortured. I was being starved. I was in solitary confinement. These were not good days. But he held on to the future hope, uncertain as when it would be that he would come out. Now, what's interesting is, if you remember, Jim Collins was the one that interviewed him. He asked the question, well, uh, Admiral Stockdale, who didn't make it out? And he said, oh, that's simple. It was the optimist. And Collins goes, wait, I thought you said you were optimistic. No, no, no. Difference between hope and optimism. Optimists were the ones that naively said, well, by Thanksgiving, we're all going to be out of this mess. Uh -huh. And then, of course, Thanksgiving came and left, and they weren't yeah. out. So I think that the, the, what we need to do for our students is, you know, we don't know when this is going to end. We do not know. What we do know is this, and let's not lose sight of the hope Yep. We will make it out. This is just going to be a vital macro message we send. Absolutely. Acknowledge the reality, but never lose hope in, yeah. in the fact that it'll get better. I love that. All right, so number one was honesty. Let's yep. do number two. Number two is the word help, and I realize that's a generic word, but here's what I mean, listeners, by, by help. I think the second way we, we can help students through stressful times is clear direction. Mm. Um, they need an application to make, okay? Not just an app on a phone, but what are the things we do know that we can, that we can do? They need practical steps to take today. Even if you can't offer uh, practical steps six weeks from now or yeah. three months from now. Because you don't know what's yeah, going to happen. Schools are opening up, but they don't know if they're going to stay opened up, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So I think that um, we cannot underestimate the power of clarity. I know we talk about that. But what we lack in certainty, I think we might be able to make up for in clarity. Mm. Uh, I've seen that most students are fine with less than optimal circumstances, but what they need is to see is progress and, the, and, and that this teacher, this parent, this coach knows some steps we can take right now. So an example might be, uh, we're not sure how our school plans are gonna handle graduation this year, uh, but here are three practical steps you can all take to prepare for anything yeah. that comes. I love that phrase. It's not magical, but let's get ready for anything rather than, well, we hope to God this is going to happen this way. Yeah, that's so good. I yeah. love that. I love yeah. that. So clarity, as I mentioned, is the next best thing to certainty. We have a habitude, um, Andrew, and there may be listeners that don't know what a habitude. Tell them real quick what a habitude is. I Habitudes are habits or images that form leadership habits and attitudes. Yeah. So, yeah, we use a picture, a story. It's a metaphor, and it leads to a, a principle that yeah. we can apply to our life. Absolutely. So since we think in pictures, we're teaching life principles with, with images and pictures. So one of our pictures, if you remember, is faded, the faded flag. Yes. And it's a great story. Um, decades ago in North Carolina, there was a passenger train moving swiftly down the tracks. And it came up to a station where there was a, a man waving a red flag signaling to stop the train. Uh, the bridge was out up ahead. Well, the train just kept moving. And uh, it was a tragic day. Um, it plunged over the ravine and hundreds lost their life. It was just horrific. But as you can imagine, lawsuits were quickly coming after this horrible tragedy. And the lawsuits came from family members that said there was no red flag being waved. It was a white flag, which and a white flag basically meant all is well, keep going. Mm. But the debate then ensued. The flagman said, I was waving a red flag. And everybody else said, no, it was a white flag, red flag, white flag. Well, finally, someone in the courtroom got wise and said, let's bring in the flag. Let's find out what color it was. 
And that's when the epiphany happened. Mm. The flag was brought in, and sure enough, it was a red flag. But over the years, it had faded and faded and faded. Until now, it sent no signal at all. It looked white. Mm. Now, I don't know if that sounds corny, listeners, but sometimes I think we're sending faded flags. Yeah, uh, We're waving a flag passionately. We've, we're really active in the classroom or wherever we are. And the kids are going, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. This is not clear. We haven't offered clarity. Yeah. yeah that's right. And not offering clarity is, is, is just as if you didn't offer anything at all, that's, right? That's exactly right. And yeah. the ambiguity is not our friend. In fact, I think that's what leads many of us to mental health crises. I we love just that. Don't, don't wave a faded flag. Yeah, that's right. All right. So we've been through two. Let's go on to number three. The third word. So honesty, help. The third word is predictable. But let's just double click on it and, and remind ourselves of the power of this word. Hope. We cannot overestimate the importance of hope. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, I worked for 20 years for John Maxwell, and I'll never forget, he said over and over and over to where there's no hope in the present, there's no power in the future. Mm. Uh, we've got to have it right now. Mm. So disorders like anxiety, even depression, can be triggered with times like we're in. And I'm not saying hope is the only ingredient they need. Some need much, much more than hope. But hope has got to be part of the recipe. It's got to be the sugar stirred into the cake that we're, we're, we're adding along the way. So um, we, we just, yeah, we just need this. So um, I, I think it's important at this point to get with our students and say, I am hopeful, you need to be too. But more than that, I think it's important to share hopeful stories. Um, pardon the redundancy, but I have loved sharing the story of Isaac Newton, yeah. how he had his greatest epiphanies when he was in quarantine their own version of social distancing in 1665. He was a college student, 22 years old, Cambridge University, sent home to the manor where he lived. It was a big farm. But while he was there, he invents calculus. He comes up with his theories on optics, which we still use to this day. He comes up with the law of gravity, the laws of motion. He couldn't have had a better quarantine. Yeah, not bad for a year at home, right? And I'm thinking, I'm wasting time right now, you know? So certainly we don't want to under... Uh, speak the the uh, importance of treating those who have been infected, and it's not a laughing matter. Absolutely. But for many of us, most of us that are not infected, what could we do? What could be the hope that we would look back later and say that would have never happened yep. had we not been sent home? And instead of getting mentally disturbed, we we power through with maybe something we wouldn't have had time for in a busy schedule. That's great. Yeah, Yeah, and really great stories can pave the way for us to find hope that we could accomplish something during this. So I love that. So one big application that that we recommend in the book, The Pandemic Population, Mm -hmm. is to sit down with your students, teacher, coach, parent, whatever you are, with whatever students are under your nose, and make a pro and con list from this pandemic. Now that may sound silly, but I'm, I'm getting somewhere. So you get a whiteboard or a big pad or whatever, or maybe you have each of your students make their own pro and con list, and then you collectively put them together. But putting a pro and con list together guarantees two things. One, collectively, we're going to have an honest memory of what's happened. Yeah. So honesty, there's that word. Yep. We're not wearing rose-colored glasses thinking this is all awesome. But at the same time, we look at the pros then, after we've looked at the cons, and we begin to see, you know what, there, there were some great things that happened. Uh, during this. Look at all the acts of service that we've actually heard college students are rendering during this quarantine. So this is really helpful. And I think what it does, I think what it does is it reminds them there is hope. This is not a bunch of cons. There are pros to this thing. So um, I'd like to rifle through a couple of uh, 
times this has happened in our past. Yeah, let's do it. The Black Death hit Europe, and it, I think it was the worst in history. Mm. I don't have a, a, a textbook in front it of me. It certainly doesn't sound good. No. <laughs> you, are, you are the master of the obvious, Mr. McPeak. Thank I'll you tell very you much. Yeah. So you're right. Well, I think it was between four and five million people died. It was just a horrific thing. We're, That's crazy. Yeah. But, but let me tell you what happened. Uh, it, was, it was in Asia, and, and it was centuries and centuries ago, but um, it killed such a large population, which was hor horrible, but it caused a labor shortage. So unemployment went way down. People were put to work. People that weren't working were working. And then it also, wages went up because workers were rare, you know, supply and demand. Yeah. All kinds of good things. Now, I'm not making light of this. I'm simply saying we've got to look at the good that came from it. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to have bad days every day for the rest of the year. Exactly. Yeah. So the Spanish flu. In 1918, a yes. century ago. Yep. Uh, huge. You want to you want to talk about that for a minute? Well, was, yeah. I mean, it, uh, it's the biggest one. We know. obviously there have been pandemics since, yeah. but it's the biggest one. I think in in um, the last 100 years. Last for sure. 100 years. Yeah. Bigger than the one that we're facing even now. Yeah. But um, you know, there was lots of crises that came as a result of it. A worker shortage um, actually allowed women to enter the workforce yeah. during that time. So they were they were needed, right? Well, they I, I don't think they ever left the workforce after yeah. that in some ways. Yeah. Um, these were jobs that were traditionally held by men in yeah. areas such as manufacturing. And uh, it wasn't long after that that women started asking for equal pay, voting rights, some of those things. It led to a lot of the transformations that we um, cherish uh, at this point. So uh, yeah. the Spanish flu, it is safe to say, actually changed the role that women played in society as a whole uh, and led to the 19th Amendment. So yeah. huge gains. On the end of that Spanish flu, 1920, uh, the 19th Amendment is added to our Constitution. I don't know if that would have been sped along as quickly without that. Yeah. So again, you all get the point, listeners, but we're just simply saying we've got to help especially the students that have a temperament that's just not seeing any good come from this to really see the good. So um, those, are, those, are, those are the big three words, honesty, help, and hope. Now, Andrew, I want you to help us get really practical. Yeah. Uh, talk about how we can do this day-to-day, day-in, day-out, with a student that may be suffering from mental health. Yeah, this, you know, it's one thing to address students in the hope of preventing mental health. It's another thing when you're actually dealing with students who are experiencing mental health issues and can I just say, with the statistics being what they are, the likelihood that you are dealing with students who have mental health issues is almost 100%. Yeah, uh, especially yeah. if you're in a classroom with 30 students, one of them, at the very least, is, yeah. is probably dealing with something like this. Well, we did some research, um, Tim, you and I, uh, several years ago. In fact, it's ended up in two resources if you're interested. Yeah. Uh, there's a free ebook on our website called Stressed Out. Yeah. Um, that's um, a kind of the first place where we put this, but it also showed up in our Gen Z Unfiltered book. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to check that out, you can as well. And basically, there are four practices that you can do um, that can help reduce stress and anxiety. And these are things that, very practical things that we can help um, our Gen Z students kind of uh, begin to practice in their life. So four M's make it easy to remember. Yeah. The first one is motion. Uh, one thing that really helps with um, anxiety and depression is actually movement, right? Or getting, getting moving... Um, 
um, getting outside, exercising, different things like that. Uh, every 60 to 90 minutes, yeah. we have got to move around. And I don't know if you need to add five minutes of gym into your virtual <laughs> yeah. English yeah. class, but if you need to, I would suggest doing that. Um, maybe encouraging students to attend your virtual class while outside. Whatever it is, getting outside, getting moving is really, really helpful. Yeah. The second one is margin. Um, this is where we make sure that uh, we create space in our schedule. And I would say this might be the one that we're at greatest risk of, of yeah. causing issues for um, our Gen Z kids is they have so many more assignments in the virtual classroom than they did in the physical classroom. And so there's not a lot of room in their day, but we have to encourage them to take uh, time where they're not doing anything else. So margin is literally time where you're, you're, you don't have anything else scheduled. It's not, I'm gonna stop school and I'm gonna work on video games, right? This is where literally nothing is happening and I, my brain has some space too. Um, to think. So this is reducing noise and clutter, making space in your schedule. Mindfulness is the third one. Um, and this is really about monotasking rather than multitasking. So many kids today are uh, you scrolling through their phone while they're listening to music, while they're doing homework with quotations around it on their computer. And by the way, the TV is on as well, right? Yeah, and that sort yeah. of multitasking is not good for our brains, um, especially in the mental health category. So this is about asking could we take moments in our day where we focus on only one task rather yeah. than um, multitasks? Uh, and this is really important. And then lastly, if there's a young person who is dealing with mental health issues um, and it's clear that it needs um, possibly uh, a mental health professional, medication, the word for that is management. That, that mental health issue needs to be managed. Um, and so this is um, reducing the time that you spend in some of those areas like social media and all those things. But it's also possibly see, seeing a mental health professional, uh, learning to sleep well, learning to eat better, learning yeah. to um, you know, work with your uh, self-talk and, and uh, adjust some of that. So those are all uh, really yeah. important. But that's just really quick, uh, motion, getting moving, margin, making space in your schedule, uh, mindfulness, focusing on just one task at a time, and then management, learning yeah. healthy practices, perhaps even working with a mental health prof professional to uh, create a better rhythm in your day. So yeah. that's just some practical steps that we could take. Good reminders. So as we wrap this up, Andrew, um, one of the inspirations for the Pandemic Population book, which we just released, I I'd love for you to mention that at the end. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Is uh, a graduate dissertation that you actually turned me on to uh, by a, a, a young lady who wrote about um, the stories of the Great Depression kids. Yeah. And that sparked me not only to read her dissertation, but then to begin to interview 85 to 95-year-old people who had lived through the Great Depression. Now, what's the purpose? Well, this current economic downturn has been compared to the Great Depression. Yeah. The joblessness, the, the um, hopelessness for some. And so um, I've got some good news, everybody. Uh, what the adults did for these Great Depression kids that I spoke to, who are now 90 years old, was nothing short of brilliant. Mm. And yet it was so simple. The adults in these kids' lives back in the 1930s was, well, let me just, let me just read this. Uh, this dissertation said, I was surprised to discover the fond memories and the good experiences that were shared, despite the fact that all the participants' families had endured hardships. Uh, the Great Depression was difficult, but not devastating. Wouldn't it be great to look back on this pandemic and say, it was difficult, but not devastating. Yes. I love that. Um, I asked if they realized they were even living during the Great Depression when they were children, and several spoke at once and said, no, we didn't. We didn't even know there was a Great Depression. <laughs> now, as silly as that sounds, maybe part of our problem is we're so aware of the 
huge problem that's looming in front of us. We're not able to live our lives. What we know, as you said. That's exactly right. So let's offer hope. Let's offer help. Uh, let's, let's offer the gifts that these kids need, and may we come out on the other side just the way those Great Depression kids that I interviewed, that they were led well through one of the toughest times in the 20th century. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, thank you so much for helping us uh, sort of get our minds around this. It is so important, the way that we, the posture that we have while we lead these kids um, through this moment. Well, you've mentioned it, but you actually wrote a book. Um, you didn't invent calculus, but you did write a book during <laughs> yeah, quarantine, which is not a small thing. Um, but we, uh, we actually just released a brand new book that Tim has finished. It's called The Pandemic Population. Uh, it's a fantastic resource, actually pretty short, all yeah. things considered. Yeah. And part of that was because we wanted to be very readable for people yeah. to just pick up and feel like they could get through it, even in a couple hours. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you want to say anything about it uh, in terms of the inspiration for the resource but uh, this is really a book helping us understand um, what happened, what could happen as a result of the pandemic if we don't lead well, and what yeah. could happen as a result of the pandemic yeah. if we do lead well, yeah. and how these kids could appear on the other side. Yeah, well, and I got that to that answer by studying past pandemics, past economic downturns. I was so encouraged. This book is pracademic, so we try to make it research-based, but yet very practical. Yes. So it's a book of hope. And yeah, it would be very useful, I think, if you're listening as a parent, teacher, coach, anybody that works with the next generation, we did, we did it for them. Love that. The subtitle is How to Help Gen Z Rediscover Hope After the Coronavirus. And that's exactly what we want to do. So uh, thank you for writing that. If you want to pick that up, go to pandemicpopulation.com, pandemicpopulation.com. You can get it there. In fact, I would encourage you, if you're leading a school or leading an organization of some kind, uh, get a couple copies uh, for the folks in your organization. It may be just what they need to help them process what's happening and to help them lead um, Generation Z well. Well, as always, if you would uh, rate this podcast, it gets the word out about what we're doing here. Five stars is the preferable amount of stars. Um, if you want to connect with us on social media, we'd love to have you follow us. Uh, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. Um, we are. Um, we would love to get emails from you guys. Um, if you got ideas for this podcast, things you uh, want us to talk about, issues you want us to cover, people you want us to interview, shoot us an email. That is podcast at growingleaders.com. And then lastly, if this was helpful to you, I just encourage you to share it with a friend. Uh, pass it along to somebody that you know. You never know who might be in a place of lacking hope uh, today, and, and maybe this might be the thing that sort of helps them with that. Maybe it'll spark a conversation between the two of you, but I just encourage you to share it. Well, Tim, thank you so much for leading us through this conversation. It's so important. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.